Matthew chapter 1. I know you've been anxiously waiting to jump back into the gospel of Matthew. Uh, Let's begin with verse 18. This is how the birth, birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what she is conceived in what is conceived in her is from the holy spirit she will give birth to a son and you are to give his name jesus because he will save his people from their sins all this took place to fulfill what the lord had said through the prophet the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. This morning, we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew. If you were with us back in December when we started, you may remember that this book was written, the audience that this book was written to was the Jewish nation, God's chosen people. And that makes a lot of sense given how it is written. It's quite different from uh, Mark, Luke, and John. God had promised Abraham that a Savior would come from his line. And you can find this promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 when he says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This promise establishes the nation of God, which would go through Abraham, through his son Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. The line would then go through Jacob, his name would be divinely changed to Israel. He had 12 sons. We know them as the 12 tribes of Israel. The promise uh, is also a promise from God for reconciliation, which we talked about last week. The reconciliation between God and man, as he says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this promise was told through the generations, and God continues to confirm the promise through prophecies found throughout the Old Testament, which in Jesus' day would be the only Bible or scriptures that they would have, would be the Old Testament scriptures. We refer to them as messianic prophecies. So, a messianic prophecy would be a prophecy in the Bible that's specifically um, foreshadowing the coming Messiah, and those continued throughout the entire Old Testament from God through his servants, uh, prophets, and priests uh, to the nation of Israel. There is a Messiah. He is coming. So with this backdrop, the Gospel of Matthew quotes Old Testament prophecies 
um, time and time again because Matthew is making a case for Jesus as the Messiah who would come to bring salvation and reconciliation, not just to the Jewish people, but to all people throughout the earth. And so it begins with the genealogy, uh, verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then he goes through the line. Uh, Our passage today begins very similar, look at it, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. So throughout the book, we will see, not unlike a prosecuting attorney, laying out evidence time and time again so that we would believe So that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, here's his family tree. So that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, this is how he was born. Just like um, the the prophecy, pardon me, is fulfilled by investigating his genealogy, able to trace his family all the way back to Abraham, today we have another very important prophecy. It is the virgin birth. It's actually found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Matthew writes it this way. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So is it okay if we tell some of the Christmas story not on Christmas today? Is that, uh, is that okay? Uh, I think it's all right we talk about things like that on non-holidays, right? As I said, this is a very important prophecy. In fact, last spring at the men's conference, um, the last speaker um, actually spoke. He ended with the importance of the virgin birth. And honestly, I could not remember ever hearing it explained in a message. And so as I've been preparing for this today, uh, it struck me how Matthew just puts this um, right up front and and center. And and I actually wrote this sermon back last month. uh, totally different uh, than this one today. I ended up being sick that day. And so Jake Pinch hit for me and, and uh, did a great job, but uh, as I was studying this passage again, um, it just came out different. So today I want to give you some theology first uh, to go along with the application at the end. So what's the big deal with the virgin birth? What's the big deal? Why is that important? Romans chapter 6 says, says this, the wages of sin <clears throat> is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, what does that have to do with the virgin birth? Well, the previous chapter, Paul puts it this way. Therefore, Romans 5.12, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Now, in chapter 3, he's already said, there is no one righteous, not even one, and all have sinned. When he says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, he's saying it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what your race is, it doesn't matter what your past religion is or your whatever your parents 
taught or your grandma or whatever. That doesn't matter. There's no one righteous, not even one. And all have fallen short of God's glory. In other words, everyone has fallen short of perfection. There's nobody perfect, not even one. So again, what does that have to do with the virgin birth? Well, what Paul is saying here is that ever since the fall of man, which you find in Genesis chapter 3, death has been handed down generation after generation to all of humanity. Well, why just since then? Why not forever? Well, there's, a, there's an answer to that question, and you can find it in Genesis chapter 2. Here, the Lord puts Adam in the garden, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. You see, Adam was born spiritually alive. By that, I mean he didn't have a dad. He didn't have an earthly father. He was created by God. He was the first immaculate conception, if you will. It reminds me of the children's book from Answers in Genesis. Uh, they're the, the ministry that uh, has the creation museum and the ark encounter. They have a children's book called, Did Adam Have a Belly Button? <clears throat> I never read it, so I don't know the answer to the question. I'm assuming, no, it doesn't really matter anyway. Um, but regardless of that, Adam was born spiritually alive. Now, we don't know how long he and Eve lived and worked in the garden before the fall. Sometime, though, had passed, and prior to their sin, there was no death. Prior to their disobedience, there was no death in the world. But notice it says, if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Now, we know that they did that in Genesis chapter 3, but it wasn't an immediate physical death. They lived hundreds of years and had children after the fact. But what it did was usher in spiritual death into the world. Now, practically speaking, something did die. We know that because their eyes were open, their spiritual eyes were open, they realized that they were naked. And so their remedy was to take fig leaves and tie them together, sew them together, and um, cover themselves. We see that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. What died? Well, it wasn't the fig leaves and it wasn't the fig tree. Verse 21 tells us the Lord God made skin, garments of skin, for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So if God made garments of skin, to clothe them. He wasn't using skin grafts. He was, something died. So that in itself is prophetic, foreshadowing the sacrifices that would be made. Uh, it's foreshadowing the Messiah, ultimately foreshadowing the cross because blood is shed. Something had to die to cover sin. Notice also in verse 22, it says, man has now become like one of us. What does that mean? Well, it's God speaking in the triune. He's referring to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in himself. 
Look at what, what he relates being like God to, knowing good and evil. This too is prophetic. How do you say? Well, Romans chapter 2, look at it. If indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law, look at this, are written on their hearts, their consciences. Bear witness. Their thoughts sometimes accuse them, other times defending them. What is that? That's knowing good and evil. You see, even those who don't have the law are still under the law because God has created us with the knowledge of good and evil. Once the fall happened, it set things in motion, and from that point forward, every human being born was born with the knowledge of good and evil. It's written on our hearts. Before you knew the Ten Commandments, your heart already knew them. Your spirit already knew them. He says in a little different way in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God, look at this, is being revealed from heaven against all godliness, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since creation, the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We talked about hell last week. Let me just say this. No one will get to hell and be able to say, I didn't know about God. So, so how do people get there? How, how is it that they can can live their life on the earth and say that, but then get to hell and say, well, how do you, how do you connect these dots? Well, let's keep reading verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him or gave thanks to him. You see, there's something about giving glory to God, worshiping God, giving thanks to God that increases and develops your understanding of God. But when you don't do that and you suppress that, then it has the opposite effect. It, it, it creates a callousness towards God. Their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their, heart, that's, their, their hearts get darkened because they, don't, they, they refuse to recognize God. They claim to be wise, but they're really fools. They exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Let me put it this way. When you don't worship God, you, you worship something else by default. You're either worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. In our society today, this is people, well, they, hey, we just care about the animals. How dare the humans? You know, I'm, listen, Mother Earth, 
We got to take care of the earth. We got to take care of the animals. We can't be doing this. We can't be doing that because they're essentially, by default, whether they realize it or not, they're worshiping, as he puts in, in verse 25, they're worshiping created things rather than the creator. Many people, most people, have no idea because God's given them over to their sin. They've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. It's very sad. But listen to this. We're no better than they. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. Because this, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There's no one righteous, not even one. That alone should set our minds in the right place because who in the world are you? Who are you that God would reveal himself to you? The psalmist says, who am I that you're mindful of me? Who am I that you care for me? We're all sinful in our human nature. We're all in need of a Savior. Back to Romans chapter 5. I told you I was going to give you some theology today, so I hope you're hungry because it's still coming. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against someone's own account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, whose pattern is the one to come. Now, I'll cover that last statement. What does this mean? Okay, if there was no speed limit in the United States and you chose to drive 100 miles an hour, you would not be guilty of breaking a law, would you? However, once you attain a particular age, you recognize that that is reckless and your heart says don't do it unless you're Ed, (laughs) whose body tells him don't do this. And then his wife says, if you won't listen to your body, maybe you'll listen to your wife. Um, Ed is a motorcycle stuntman. If you don't know him, you should get to know him. Um, The law didn't come until Moses. Adam was given a direct command. He broke it. But there was no law between Adam and Moses. We had centuries But death was still in in play. Okay, so sin came into the world through one man, and through sin, death. And so even though there wasn't the command, even though there wasn't the law, death was still in play, and then the law came to define it. And you can't argue with the law. 
all 10 of them are right. And I'll tell you how you know that, because it's written in your heart. Okay? That's why when you ask somebody, it's important to know, because when you ask somebody about the things of God, or if they have accepted Jesus as their Savior, many people will say, well, hey, I think I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I think I'm a pretty good person. But that's not the problem. The problem isn't that sin makes you bad. The problem is that sin makes you dead. That's the problem. And if you're dead, then you've got a problem. And there's nothing you can do about it. Because when you're dead, you're dead. Nobody in the funeral home is getting themselves dressed. No one in the funeral home is getting themselves in the casket. No one in the funeral home is getting driving themselves to the service, and nobody's putting themselves in the ground. When you're dead, you're dead. So how do you fix that problem? Well, you don't. And so let me just try to tie this all together. In the Gospel of John, one of the religious leaders, a man by the name of Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at night. He's been watching Jesus. He's seeing what's going on. John is radically different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, it doesn't follow the same timeline. There's, there, there's a lot of correlations between uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's uh, John is about 90% exclusive to John. Um, this is one of those ex uh, examples that's not in the other books. This, this religious teacher says, I've been watching you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you. It's clear to me that God has sent you. I'm, I'm thinking you're the guy. How do I get to eternal life? And Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And, of course, his response is a logical response. What do you mean born again? How can a man enter his mother a second time and, and be born again? That, that's not practical. And Jesus says, no, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to to spirit. What Jesus is saying in this, in this statement here is your life in the flesh produces flesh, which produces death. So, so those of us who are married in the room, we, if we have children, you know when that child hits the floor, hopefully not the floor, you know what I mean? <laughs> When that child arrives, it's just a matter of time before you tell them to do something and they say no. Don't touch that. Don't walk there. Slow down. Sit down. Shut up. Flesh produces flesh. Flesh produces sin. Sin produces death. But nobody can come to the kingdom of God unless they're born of the flesh and the spirit. 
That's what Matthew is talking about here in chapter 1 when he says she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Where does eternal life come from? Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the big deal with the virgin birth? In order for Jesus to pay the price for our sin, he had to be born alive. Joseph's seed could not produce a savior. Man's seed cannot produce life, only the spirit. Back to Romans 5, the gift What's that? The gift of God, eternal life. The gift is not like the trespass. It's not like sin. For many died by the trespass of one man. How much more then did grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all, All have sinned. Sin entered the world through one man. So one righteous act, the cross, one righteous act resulted in justification. Look at this. And life to all people. See, he's comparing. He's comparing Adam. Sin entered the world through one man. So grace and justification can come through one man. Does that jive? That's why John 3.16 is so important. God so loved the world. You're dead. There's nothing you can do about it. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not die, would not perish, would not go to an eternity without him, but they would have eternal life. How do you go from death to life? Christ. How can that be made possible? The virgin birth. He was born alive so that he could be put to physical death and come back to life, giving life to all who believe. John 17, 317, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because you're already condemned. You already stand condemned. Why? Because you're born into the flesh. You're born a sinner. All of us born into sin, born into death. We're already dead. We're already condemned. No, Christ came into the world to save the world Through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned. How do you get to eternal life? Look at the passage here. Four times in these three verses, it says this word, belief. It is belief. Romans chapter 10 Paul says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is with your heart that you believe and justice is served. The penalty has already been paid. You have to receive it through belief and then you profess it 
with your mouth. Anyone who believes will never be put to shame. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, meaning it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. None of that matters. We are all human beings in need of a Savior. It is the same Lord that is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter puts it this way, you have been born again, 1 Peter chapter 1, 23, not of perishable seed, not of Adam's seed, not of Joseph's seed, not of a human being. It's not flesh and flesh. No, you have been born of imperishable seed. How? Through the living and enduring Word of God. What's that? Your Bible? No. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We're talking about Jesus Christ. Praise God. Because of the virgin birth, because Jesus was born alive, conceived not by man, but conceived by the Holy Spirit, the imperishable seed, we too will not perish, but have eternal life. That is the importance of the virgin birth. Praise God. Back to Matthew chapter 1. Just getting started here. How'd you like that for an intro? Let's do some application here. Actually, you know what? Abby, is that you up there? I'm going to go back. To, Mike, did we put those slides in that I was going to cut out? I, I want to I put another button on this, uh, and I want you to see something else here in Genesis. Um, so many people struggle with this. Um, not nakedness. <laughs> Some do. Um, I want you to I want you to see something else. So just this this little side note. Um, this is actually this is Genesis chapter two. Forgive me, uh, that's incorrect in my notes. It's not their fault. It's mine. Um, look at it. it. Says Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. It wasn't about their nakedness. It was about their life. They felt no shame about their life. Why? Because they had no sin. Sin brings shame because it's written on our hearts. Before the fall, which this is, it's, it's actually, thank you for, look at that. Hey, is this amazing? We have an amazing production team up there. Say thank you to them. Um. The fall came in the next chapter. But before, before the fall, they didn't know good and evil. They only knew God. Which means they only knew good. Because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. All goodness only comes from one source. 
That's one of the many reasons hell will be so awful is because anything and everything good is completely removed because God is not there. And without God, there is nothing good. How do you get that purity back? This is where I believe people struggle. Look again at Romans 10, verse 11. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. John 3, 17, God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn you. That's, that problem's already there. No, he sent his son into the world to redeem you, to save you, to remove that shame, to remove that condemnation. And look at this. Anyone, Romans 10, anyone who believes will never be put to shame. It puts us right back into pre-fall spiritual condition at salvation where we have no shame. But we have an enemy out there that's fighting against us. And he wants to remind us of who we were. But that's who we were. That's not who we are. And you need to walk in that. I'm no longer a slave to whatever. I mean, we sing that song. Do you really realize what that means? You're a child of God. You were a people, but now you are the people of God. At one time, you didn't have a family, but now you have a family. It's the family of God. Do you walk in that truth? Because you can. You don't have to do these things. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to be a part of a life group. You don't have to to do life with people who are life-giving. You don't have to do those things, but you can. You may do those things if you want to, and boy, won't your life be that much better. But I'm telling you, if you're free and you've been set free and you still hang out with the pigs, guess what you're going to look and smell like? A pig. Does that mean you're not saved? No, you just stink. And then you wonder, you know, I just don't feel good. I don't feel like I'm a Christian. Well, it's because you don't look like one. Does that mean I can't have tattoos and, a, and, and long hair? You know, that's between you and the Lord. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I would not do that. But, you know, that's the problem that you get your, yourself caught into. I've got to be careful here. But do you know the Lord well enough to say, hey, Lord, should I do that? And do you know him well enough to obey him when he gives you the answer? Because you can. This is part of growing up in your salvation. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, which gives life, has set you free.
Praise God. My prayer for this church is that we receive that and we walk in it. And we, and we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors, Paul says. And it's so sad. People walk around, they're believers, and they have it right there at their fingertips. But to talk to them, they're not even conquerors, let alone more than conquerors. And that's a choice. That was, I'm getting back on the highway. There you go. So, <laughs> praise God. With that backdrop, backdrop, let us go back to Matthew. That only took me seven minutes. Praise the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public grace. What does that mean? Well, he, he knew what the law was. She was to be ultimately stoned to death, put into public disgrace, disgrace and in some cases put to death. And he didn't want to do that to her. And so he was just going to do it quietly. But after he had considered all of this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of God, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will, be, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So what do we do with this? I'll give you four Four points here, four application points. First, Joseph had a crisis. We do not understand uh, all of the traditions that went into a Jewish wedding, but you can read about it, and it was a long process, a long engagement. And you read about... Um, uh, Weddings in in uh, John chapter two, for example, the first the first miracle you read about uh, parables where Jesus is talking about uh, the bridegroom and and the brides and 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 you get a, a picture of man that this is like a big deal. This is a big deal, and it's turned upside down for this guy. Radically, his plans had changed. But let me tell you this, the gospel is God's plan, not your plan. The gospel is God's plan. It's not our plan. And the truth is this, God can interrupt our plans whenever he wants to. Do you think Joseph had any clue that God was going to interrupt his plans in his life like this? No way. But all too often, let me share this with you, 
All too often, it's in times of crisis when God steps into someone's life, and we need to recognize that as a divinely opportune moment in time. In crisis, and we just saw it. I played that video last, last Sunday. We saw it from that Monday night football game. The, the, there was crisis in cr- times of crisis. People w- will be open to the things of the Lord, and we need to understand that. When something uh, happens around us, uh, there's an, a, an amazing opportunity that we have all of a sudden to speak into someone's life. And that brings me to the second point. When God, uh, God speaks to people whose hearts are open. Jo- Joseph was a man who was faithful to the law. That doesn't mean he's righteous. No, we, we've already gone through all of that, right? He was not righteous. He was not perfect, but he was faithful to the law. And look at this. After he had considered this, after he had spent some time, I would offer to you in prayer and asking the Lord, what should I do? The Lord spoke to him. And the Bible records countless times when God speaks to people, and the truth is he is still speaking today. The question isn't, does God speak today? The question is, are you listening for his voice? In the book, Experiencing God, Pastor Henry Blackaby says that God primarily speaks in four ways. He speaks through his word, through the Bible. He speaks in prayer, in communion with him as you're talking to him, as he's speaking to your heart. He speaks in circumstances, what's going on around you. Get your spiritual eyes open and you'll be able to connect some supernatural dots. And he speaks through the church. That doesn't mean me necessarily. It means us. We are the church. And if you're not doing life with people who are moving in the same direction that you should be going, that we should all be going, then you you limit. You, it's like you put a lid on God speaking to you, if you close those doors, so, so you know, why do we tell you, be here, serve together, um, be in life group, get, get into discipleship. Why? Because it will bless your life. God's just looking to bless you. His eyes roam to and fro looking for people whose hearts are sold out to him. So God speaks today, make no mistake about it, but there is a prerequisite to hearing God. You have to have an open heart to the things of God. And in a time of crisis, as I just mentioned, as we saw the last two weeks, man, that's when people's hearts are open to the things of God, and the worship team can come. There's a third point here. Um, Joseph chose to believe even when he didn't understand. Do you think Joseph understood the significance of what was happening in his life in that moment. Now, he was a carpenter. Um, many scholars believe he was a, a stonemason. And, um, you know, we think of a carpenter as a wooden saw in, in that day. Most of the homes were not made out of, of wood. They were made out of stone. And so that would make sense. But I say that to say he wasn't following a rabbi. He's just an ordinary guy. 
And so those that were going into being a priest or a rabbi, you know, they're in the Word all the time. And it doesn't have a record of, of the angel saying, hey, this is to fulfill the prophecy. It just says this is what's happened. Do you think he's like, I knew it. I knew God was going to use me to be the Messiah's dad. I don't think so. I knew I chose the right girl. I knew it. She was going to get miraculously impregnated by the Holy Spirit. One down. He's probably thinking, you got to be kidding me. I've just like changed. I've, I've just like... I have prepared my life for this. I thought I chose the right girl. I thought I chose from the right family. I, how, God, could you do this to me? That's probably what he thought initially. But listen, faith is believing without seeing. Faith is trusting in God's plan even when and especially when you don't understand it. And seeing isn't believing. But in the supernatural, let me tell you this, believing is seeing. Because when you choose to believe, especially when you don't understand, God supernaturally opens your spiritual eyes to things that cannot be seen in the natural. And your heart becomes open to things that in the natural seem foolish. We think wisdom is this, but God's like, yeah, that's foolishness. This is wisdom. So what about the others? That, that, what about those that I come in contact with that are in calamity? I mean, you just spent 30 minutes or so in this deep theology, this journey through the Bible on one topic. Do I have to be prepared to do that? No. You just like dump an assault block on their head. No. Matthew doesn't do that. I did that to you. Joseph didn't get that either. He just got a word from the Lord. Is it good for you to know it? I think absolutely. Helps to tie the pieces together. Matthew says, hey, he's just the whole, the whole book, he's just going to be connecting dots, connecting dots, connecting dots. I'll do my best. But it is good for you to know it. But you don't need to go through all that stuff to lead somebody to Jesus. You just need to be sensitive to God's voice and obey him. He'll give you the words. And they'll be perfect for the moment. And that brings me to my last point. When God speaks, that's the time to obey. Look at it. When Joseph woke up, it is implied it was when he woke up from the dream he had just had. <laughs> when he woke up, he did what he was told. When the Lord speaks to your heart, don't expect that you'll be ready. But you do need to move. You do need to obey. Because if you don't take that first step, then you don't need to worry about the steps down there because you're never going to get to them. If you're faithful and, and obedient in little things, then it will lead to bigger things. I, I, I know I've shared this before. In 2011, I had a, a uh, 
I had a, we were at this service on a Saturday night at a hotel room. It was just a, a, a very charismatic service. Let me put it that way. And um, I walked in and um, my friend who had invited us, he said, hey, you'd be, you know, you better be prayed up because this lady, she'll re- read your mail. And just like anybody else, I'm not interested in having my mail read. Thank you very much. Um, but it, it, it's, you know, it, it struck me to a point. I was prayed up when I got there. And man, my heart was open. And I mean, I walked in the threshold of that room and I began to weep. And then the only seats that were available were like on the second row. Right where you are sitting. And Sandy was sitting next to me, and, and it wasn't a room this big. I mean, it was about this many chairs right here in this little double conference room in the hotel room in Hawthorne and in Oshkosh on 20th. And that after the first song, and I mean, I'm just, I'm weeping, and I couldn't, it was just one of those weeps. And the lady uh, who was the leader of this ministry stepped up and said, I, to, I believe I have a word for the Lord, from the Lord for everyone in this room. And there was a guy on the front row, and she said something to him. And then she looked at me, and I had never seen her in my life, and she'd never seen me. And she said, come up here. And I was scared to death. And I walked up there, you know, I'm just, I'm a mess, and I didn't, I just, and she spoke some words into my life. The only ones I remember were, you will lead men. And then I went back and sat down. It was a, what was it, started at seven. I think we left at one in the morning. It was a long service. And then we went and got hot wings, and we stayed up till 3 in the morning. And the next morning, I went into church for prayer, and I was praying with the pastor. And the Lord, he put his finger on my heart, it felt like. And he gave me a glimpse of his heartache for people who don't know him. And I it was it had a physical impact on me and i began to weep that was december of 2011 and we started this church in september 15 and we have an incredibly strong men's ministry here at, at mill city and we always have and i'm super thankful for that but it didn't start then it, here's how it started with one guy that I began to meet with in a discipleship relationship. And then when that kind of came to a close, there was somebody else that walked into my life. Don Benson's one of them right there. And I, and I began to disciple him. And I, because how, how do you start a church? How do you start him? I don't know. Here's what I can do. 
if God gives me one person, I can deal with one person. I can, I can work with one person. I can meet and, and disciple and, and invest in and pour into one person. Here, that's my point. Listen, God spoke. He gave me a vision. There's no way I was ready for that. But if I didn't start, I would never be ready. So when God speaks into your life, that's the time to obey. And for you, it might be inviting somebody to church. It might be, you know, removing some things from your desk at work. It might be recognizing that there's eyes on you and there's going to be people in crisis and they're going to need you and they're not going to know that they can go to you because you don't look like somebody that they could go to. Maybe you're a believer and you've never been baptized and you're just waiting to be ready. I'm here to tell you, if you're a believer, you're ready. That's the only prerequisite. And you're delaying spiritual growth because you're being disobedient. And delayed obedience is what, Michael? <laughs> My son, he knows it well. Disobedience. And so, you know, it could be relationships. You're hanging on to things, thinking you're going to lead them to the Lord and realize that, Man, they're just dragging you down. They're keeping you from growing up in your salvation. Maybe it's your schedule. You've got too much in your life, and you're not allowing the thing, the room for the things. Listen, whatever it is, when God speaks to you, that's the time. The next thing you do is obey. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, God, I pr praise your name. You are good. Everything about you is good. There is no goodness without you. I thank you for your plan of salvation that you gave of yourself so that we could have eternal life. You have spoken to us this morning. And God, I just pray for a, a move of your spirit right now in a supernatural way. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we can't look at a a deep but basic elementary theological truth without action, a call to action. We have seen through God's word the state of humanity without him. And it's not that Christians are better than non-Christians. We're not. It's it's a choice that we have made as God has revealed himself. It's a choice to accept it as truth. It's a, it's a choice to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to choose to believe that. I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus. The virgin birth is basic, but it's super important. It's eternally essential. Because without that part of the plan... 
the entire plan falls apart. And maybe that's, you're like me a year ago. Never heard it explained that way. Wow, that makes sense to me. And you needed to hear that today. And that was the missing piece to the wheel. And, and you'd like to make a decision today. I, I'd like to make a decision to make Jesus the Lord of my life. There's not a better thing you could do on a January Sunday morning than make that commitment. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'd like to ask him to come into my life and forgive my sin, to exchange my death for his life. And it is an amazing journey. It's an amazing life. And if that's you, 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 you need to make that decision today. Can I pray for you? Just a sign of an upraised hand. You, you need to make a decision today to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. That's awesome. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. You maybe you're far from him. You just it's not that you didn't know that. It's not that you haven't been in church, not that you haven't prayed the prayer, but the truth is you're here today for some reason, and it's the first time you've you've been in church for a while. It's the first, you know, right now you'd like, you know what? I'm I've been away. I've been that sheep that that left the 99. I've wandered a little bit and 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 today I recognize that and I I want forgiveness. I want to repent of that and I would like to be brought back into the fold. And, and for you, it's, it's a different prayer. But, but 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that's a believer's prayer. That's something that we have to. And I'm not saying you're not saved. What I'm, I'm not saying that you are. I'm just saying that right now the Lord's speaking to you, and, and now's the time to acknowledge that. And if that's you, you, you need to repent of, of where you are, where you have found yourself today. And I'd like to pray for you. Is anybody else here? Thank you. That, that's awesome. Hallelujah. Let's stand. God, yeah, you are an amazing God. And, and you say all heaven rejoices when one returns. All heaven rejoices when one person comes to know you. Lord, you're speaking today. We know that you do. God, move in our midst, I pray, today as these have acknowledged you. God, may there be a confession today, a purity that is that replaces condemnation, that replaces shame. Forgiveness right there, we just have to ask. And so, God, I pray a, a renewal in Jesus' name.